Hello, you wonderful people, and welcome to episode number 10. That's right, we're double digits now. Episode number 10 of the Being a Sapien podcast. My guest today is none other than Mike Lee. Mike Lee is an absolute wizard when it comes to CrossFit. He's been in the game for a fair while now and knows it all when it comes to gymnastics, Olympic weightlifting, and general sort of CrossFit. Things haven't sort of been smooth, smooth sailing for, for Mike. You know, he's had his fair fair share of hardships that have hit him you know he had he went dealt with um a fair amount of of loneliness when he became sort of ceo of crossfit london and you know went through went for a stage where he felt like the the world was against him and he kind of um lost his lost his rhythm i suppose and lost who he was uh and then really really sadly lost one of his best mates to a motorbike accident whilst he was in india and decided last year that he would get all of his thoughts all of his feelings all of that built-up emotion that he's been feeling um into a book and 90 pages later and tens of thousands of words later he he felt at ease i suppose and, and really felt like you know he had got a lot of his chest and a lot of built-up emotion um down as paper which i think is, is that's so so liberating what an amazing feeling that must have been for him um so we delve into to all of this we'd speak about all of this both both sort of crossfit online coaching and um i suppose a little bit of mental health as well but an incredibly powerful episode this one and one i had a lot of joy um uh recording i suppose because i got a really i really did get a lot from it and it's super important that everyone in the world not just men um talk about issues and talk about their feelings and, and go into a bit more depth on it so yeah really really good podcast really really good chat and um if i say so myself i suppose and uh, yeah episode 10 coming right up Hello, hello, people. Episode number 10. 10 weeks of conversation I've had with loads of different individuals all up and down the country. Um, and it's, it's been a really, really exciting sort of 10 weeks. Um, I'm joined today by a very special man. His name is Mr. Mike Lee. How are we, sir? I'm good, Lee. You've got a, you've got a fantastic radio voice, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to step my game up. <laughs> BBC Radio 1 coming in live, yeah? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Love it, love it. Um, so as, as everyone knows, the last sort of 10 weeks, um, every every sort of conversation has been different, every topic's been different, but the overarching principle is to give you guys, the listeners, um, nuggets of tools and uh, a knowledge to give you all based around sort of mindset, performance and personal growth. Um, Mike is someone who I deem to be probably the wizard of CrossFit when it comes to London. You know, he's, he's been there and done it. Uh, I believe with, with all aspects of CrossFit, whether it's gymnastics, strength, conditioning maybe not so much no one likes conditioning let's be honest uh, but we've put ourselves into a fair few holes but take it away mike i want people to know who you are what you do where you come from yeah sure um wizard of course is definitely a, a very that's a very complimentary thing to say but maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit exaggerated but yeah i guess um i guess my coaching started to grow a little bit more within london when i got into crossfit um i actually came from a bit of a gymnastics background when I was at university um, and I went to Loughborough, studied chemistry, sports science, um, left uh, left Loughborough and just decided I didn't really want to be in a lab for the rest of my life and so kind of canned the chemistry side, 
um, but still find what it was quite the goal? Huge. What was the goal then? Like, what, when you studied chemistry, what was it? What was the plan? Uh, to appease uh, an, a, a dad, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, but no, it was it was a bit more of an academic side. And to be, in all fairness, I was I was I was really good at chemistry, but I didn't enjoy it nearly as much. Um, it's it's logical to me. It's right or wrong. There's not much mm. in chemistry that's like well it's up for debate it either is or it isn't it's quite it's, okay. it's pretty much like maths and, and physics yeah um whereas sports science there's a lot more stuff that's up for debate like all strength yeah. and conditioning principles apply slightly differently to to each individual um so i went i left uni went back home um didn't really know what i was going to do for six weeks then applied for um when I did my PT course in London, uh, in which you probably know you don't learn a lot. Um, honestly, it's, it's honestly <laughs> tragic. Um, and then started working at fitness first and I went into fitness first being a bit strange at that time. Cause it was like 10 years ago and I pretty much, was fantastic at all body weight movements and I was quite good at teaching all body weight movements never actually done a back squat I Mad. started Mad. as a PT and I'd never actually done a back squat which is coming insane. coming back to so coming back to the the PT qualification actually which I find really interesting do you believe that it needs to change in the UK yeah and to be honest like I'll give a a shout out I don't know if you know him Jens Robinson coach Jens uh, PFCA right yeah yeah, yeah. so it's a good friend of mine and that is what they're doing and they're doing it really well. Amazing. And it's, yeah. uh, yeah. Like even looking at some of their stuff, I went over their course and it's, it's so, so good compared to what we learned. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean that level two, I remember the first question on my page was which organ pumps blood. And it was like a multiple <laughs> choice. I was like, how, how on earth does this prepare you to teach anyone realistically? Mm -hmm. And, and who is getting this wrong? Like yeah. there's a yeah. you know you've got liver bladder lungs it's just it's mad but um the uh yeah the level two level three is a piece of paper it's a check on the box to make sure that you've appeased a system at the end of the day Precisely, and yeah. um but you know what's crazy is it doesn't teach you not once does it teach you actual movement mm. you know yeah. they, they assume like you can write a program chucking some bench press in there chucking some deadlifts but you you never get taught how to teach these things so yeah. you know what you do end up with is quite a lot of people going in who just like to train they yeah. just like to train they go do their pt course and they come out and the reality is is that most of the time you got to look the part in a global gym Right. The people who are most successful in a in a regular gym, like your fitness first gym box, they look the part, they look like they train themselves, which is very important, but it's not necessarily the be all the and be end, all. end all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so after fitness first, uh, my osteopath got me into CrossFit. Um, and I went in to CrossFit Central London. And I think we had, I went straight into a competition team. Never even done a, like, I'd never even done an Olympic lift. and went straight into a competition team. Um, but it was only because my gymnastics was so good 
I'd never done any kipping. I've got videos of original kipping and they are, it's awful. It's disgusting. It's exactly <laughs> what you'd see on a YouTube fail video. Um, <laughs> but I was like, from doing gymnastics, I had really good body awareness. And so I picked up snatching and clean and jerking really quickly. I think I had 17 strict muscle ups at the time and I had, I'd never done a kipping muscle up. So my, my, honestly, my ring muscle ups were, were amazing. My pressing strength was really good, but my leg strength was, was poor. And so over the next year, um, I basically trained three days times a day, six days a week. Um, non-stop I was what 22 uh and I got to having never done a clean to 140 kilo clean in about a year um and then about three months after that I fractured my back um so I (laughs) yeah I mean it was it was a little bit of a wake-up call but apparently not enough because once my back had healed I kind of went back to doing not far off the same thing um and it was just because my back was super arched from gymnastics like Mm. you know that kind of posture that they all have is is really hyperextended through their lower back and then i'm loading that over and over again uh in positions that i really haven't even been in before even with a back squat Mm. or a front squat um so yeah i mean the flexibility made it easier to to get into crossfit but it was actually one of the first times in my life where i really focused on mobility and movement Mm. um in gymnastics it was simply just you did a lot of stretching um and you did a lot of strength work whereas it was a lot more targeted mobility when i started um Mm. and it was kind of like around the times of instead of being flexible you're you're now focusing on mobile and strength through ranges right rather than know yeah okay, exactly I, I, I can get into this range but how strong am i at the end range yeah um, exactly. and that's what i mean me personally i'm i'm quite naturally flexible so i've mm. found it easy to pick up movements and get into positions yeah. but i definitely feel myself in like end ranges of certain movements where i'm like oh like you know i, I probably yeah. haven't really warranted doing this yeah, and, exactly. And, and I know that, but like some people are coming into CrossFit for for the first time, or like if you're a newcomer, you know, you might see all like the glamorous side of it, but just understand like there is it's a long journey to be able to like you know snatch efficiently, clean efficiently, um, and just move efficiently. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I that's almost where I built uh, the programming side of my business was I was like you know I've been there, I know. <laughs> I know how quickly you could advance if you just hammer it for six months. And you know what? If you're a resilient person, you could train twice a day, six days a week for six months, and you'll progress so quickly. But what point are you about to break? And when you break, you 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 chuck an obstacle in the road for your potential. Um, and it's hard to come back from that, both physically and mentally, depending on how bad your injury is. And if that obstacle knocks you back some people don't come back and you know a lot of the people that i started training at the beginning were broken crossfitters well they actually they were broken athletes when i was at fitness first so i trained a couple of rugby players um and i was by far the smallest pt at my gym by far and i think it was what built my business there was the fact that i was very strong power to weight I, i could do things that people three times my size couldn't um 
but what built my more CrossFit side of the business was really getting people to slow down. Right. And the thing with CrossFit or members at CrossFit gym is you very rarely have to motivate to go to the gym. You usually have to motivate them to get out of the gym and go do something else or have a conversation about something else. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) it is. it's a fan i think it's a fantastic sport and i think it's one of the only where i've found i mean i've I've been in a lot of places over the last sort of seven years in, in my career and i've found that crossfit boxes have some of the most unique not even characters but it's not some of the most like unique feelings when you walk into some of them you know you've got that sense yeah. of community you've got that sense of people that are on like the same wavelength you know yes it's a competitive if competitive place but you might have three people training next to each other who are also like urging each other to like do the best as they possibly yeah. can and like be in there for yeah. each other so as much as it is competitive it is so like warming and you feel like if you're in a good box you feel like part of like a bit of a home yeah. and it's like no wonder why people like want to spend so much time there because it's like you know, they, they feel they feel like it's a home away from a home definitely well that's the thing is like a good a good crossfit gym creates a community and a bad one creates a cult and yeah, a community is only a community if it welcomes other people in. And yeah. I've been to a number of uh, uh, boxes where it's a community for the people that are there, but it's really intimidating to walk into. Um, yeah. okay. e- even if you are someone who does CrossFit, it's like you walk in, you're a new person and people are like eyeing you up and like, yeah. almost measuring you up straight away. And it's not a nice feeling um, for a lot of people. And I think, when I, so I, after fitness first, I joined Perpetua, um, which at the time was like, it was doing a system called a Mad Lab system. And what I was doing was at fitness first was pretty much doing 40 PT sessions a week, every week. And it was mm. draining. It's you know, tough. I, I can hand on heart say now that pretty much anyone that had me as a PT after Wednesday afternoon was not getting the best of me because I was burnt out. Um, and, you know, a lot of the people that I trained then are actually still with me now. We're doing, doing online programming, but you can't sustain that life. It's, no. but when you've got to the point where you're earning pounds per hour, 40 sessions a week, let's say you're on a fitness first style or gym box style where you pay your rent, rent scheme, um you know 40 sessions a week 60 pounds is 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 good money um you pay your rent and you're coming out at the other side and you you're laughing Mm. but how long can you maintain that so i don't i don't regret doing that because it taught me a lot about i was was gonna say do you feel like do you feel like some trainers almost need to go through that to experience what it what it takes to not only two ways of looking at this not only train a vast number of people to learn as much as possible about different people and how different people yeah. might not not only move but like personality types like you might have someone in the morning someone in the evening totally different personalities how do you adapt as an individual to suit that person in front of you right um yeah do you feel like do you feel like the hours the, the, the 40 hour weeks are needed to put in or do you feel like someone nowadays can be a bit smarter about it i think it teaches you a lot and actually, some of the best coaches I know have all done that. Yeah. However, you do sacrifice your health. 
Like, I would I have fractured my back if I wasn't doing 40 hours a week plus CrossFit three times a day? Um, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Like, the stress is the stress on your body is is irrelevant whether it's coming from training or whether it's coming from work at that point. Mm. Um, and I think it, it, doing that allowed me to build the money to buy my house mm. in London. I so I can't really regret that. Like it allowed exactly, me to yeah. save a good amount of money. However, it also caused me to fetch my back and it also caused me a lot of other more physical and health issues uh, and mental health issues. Um, and it's very difficult to let go. Like if you're earning mm. four grand a week, five grand a week um, and busting your ass doing, you know, 40, even up to 50 PT sessions, how do you then transfer that and go, do you know what? I'm going to slowly wean these guys off and immediately take a lower income. Now, mm. uh, when I moved to Perpetua, what they were suggesting was, okay, you're going to work as a uh, coach at a CrossFit gym and you are in charge of looking after a group of members. And so every member you looked after contributed a percentage towards your salary. So if I, I think when you started, you got 20% of their membership fee as your salary, which, you know, at the start is what, it's like 30 pound a month, 40 pound a month. Um, and then as you grew, that percentage became 30%, it became 40%, um, I think up to 45% eventually. Uh, that to me was like, okay, so I just have to look after these members in making sure that they feel good at the gym and making sure that if they have any problems, I can handle it on the admin side, sort their memberships and stuff out. That was a good system because I was like, okay, that doesn't require more and more hours at six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, I could do PT. And I think at the time, uh, the guy that was running the gym suggested, I expect you to do like 12 hours a week of PT. I was like, it's like part-time. It's like, yeah, not, it's a holiday. Nothing compared. <laughs> Quite um, literally. But I think at the time it was it was actually quite a big amount for people that were there. Now I found it quite easy to blend in because I was like, when you sell PT to a person at CrossFit gym, you don't have to convince them that training is good for them. Yeah. You know, at, at a gym, some people have signed up for a gym and they go in, they're like, I feel like I should be doing this, or my or my wife's told me to go, or my doctor's told me to go, or my husband's told me to go. Um, and then trying to get those people to then fork out money to invest in their own health is very difficult. Mm. Selling to, to people who are already walking into a CrossFit gym for me was, was quite easy. Cause I was like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. You know, you know that you enjoy training, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Yeah. Let's have a go. Let's see how it goes. Um, the only problem was, is that I then built that PT side from 12 hours back up to about 28 hours plus classes plus admin and i was like so oh, no, back, to square one. Sex. <laughs> back to square one just in a different system and i think that's the trap that people get caught in is and actually maybe that's more of a london thing is you get caught in a financial like i should be earning this i should be doing this it's like yeah. i've seen this on instagram and this person's doing this and this and this and you don't mm. you never know anyone's situations whether they've run into money whether they've invested course, their money yeah. whether they you know it's it might not be from their day job, right? yeah, you know, exactly that, um, yeah. you know, if I see is, an 18 year old driving around a Range Rover, my thought isn't, wow, they're, they're a hustler. 
I'm like, yeah, you know, they've either they're either really really smart and they started a business very early, yeah, or they're in quite fortunate. Yeah, yeah, they, or they're quite fortunate. Exactly that. And I think I think that's massive. And I think that's one reason why the biggest takeaway for me with social media is remember as a highlight reel remember like it's you don't know what what people are going through in their yeah. in their life like as much as it might look like you know all singing all dancing you know how have they got into that position have they hustled for it as you said or have they just come into it and you know they're just in a fortunate position um i've and i, I feel like that with our industry as well you know like everyone's on their own sort of journey and their own sort of path within within the sort of health and fitness industry figure out the one that works for you the best doesn't mean you have to earn 10 grand 20 grand a month like if yeah, you yeah. feel like you can survive on four grand a month five grand a month you can live a nice happy life you're doing 20 25 hours a week you know that's that you're, you're good with that you know you're living in yeah. a nice place like that that's totally fine it's not a problem yeah. if you feel like you need to step it up again and like put your foot on the step your foot on the gear and like okay i need, I need a bit more now you can do that i think having the flexibility of someone who's maybe self-employed or in a place where you can you know pay your rent and then like judge for yourself how much how much work you want to put in that's fine yeah. it's just figuring out like your your sort of niche and your sort of route yeah i mean i've technically i've I've technically never really been employed. Uh, so mm. I started straight out of uni self-employed. Even when I worked for Perpetra, I was self-employed. Um, yeah. I think there was a small period where I was running CrossFit London, but I also had my own remote programming business at that yeah. point as well. Exactly. So at that point, it was the reason self-employment motivates me is if I work, I see the results. If I don't work, I don't get paid. Like, exactly. Real that, simple. Yeah. And I actually find it quite difficult with uh, employment in the fact that, yes, there's obviously you need to work hard because you're looking for a raise or you're looking to advance up a ladder or, or wherever it is. But when I was at CrossFit London, I had this set salary. I was like, you know, there's some days here where I'm putting in 16-hour day or 12-hour day, and it makes no difference at the end of the month financially to me exactly. as to whether I put in an eight hour day. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That sort of became a bit of a struggle for me at CrossFit mm. London and CrossFit London was one of those gyms that I was telling you about when I walked in for the first time, where I was like, this is, this is an unwelcoming place to be the first time I came in. Yeah. Now I think you ever only ever saw the new CrossFit London. I saw the nice new fancy I, space. Yeah. I remember when you you took it over and I remember speaking to you once and you was like, Lee, I haven't trained in two, three weeks. Yeah. Because you did, I, you, you, it was I mean, like I was, of... while I was doing that, I was lucky to train three times a month. Like for that whole period I was running across London. There was a few phases where I went through and I got back on track, but it lasted four or five weeks. And then what it was, was training in that gym. It's great, beautiful place to train. However, it was like that light bulb was out. No one's going to sort that except me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I've got to go, go call someone to get those lights sorted or, you know, yeah. you're mid-training and someone comes around to complain about the noise. I'm like, yeah, that's that's my job to come. And what, I was ha what was happening for me was I was getting further away from running, from coaching, which is yeah. what I enjoy doing and more it's into just admin yeah and it's no absolutely no disrespect to coaches who want to go down the route of running a gym and doing that like 
it just wasn't it just wasn't for me for you um yeah, yeah and I, I kind of, um i tell you what i learned was my biggest lesson and it was probably the first time i'd felt it was at crossfit london i was inherently lonely um because i'd come from perpetua where all the members are your mates like the coaching team that i was surrounded by was awesome we were all good friends like we gave each other a bit of shit we're like but we were all great at the end of the day we would happily every single one of us go out for a beer together um yeah. no one disliked each other and we went on holidays together and everything and then when i went to crossfit london i came in as the ceo and in order for that business to change there had to be massive changes like yeah. massive massive changes so business was not turning over a lot of money there were about 21 different types of membership available and i was like this is so confusing like you're yeah. trying to do look at accounts and try and figure out what's coming in every month and it was it was a mess and then um there was about 20 coaches and you know we'd run perpetua as a really successful gym uh the business made good money the coaches made good money the members were happy like it was um, an amazing performance place to be um mm. and we had five coaches i was like there's there's at least 20 coaches here and i think i had a town hall meeting for the first time uh just with the just with the coaches to start with and i was like look raise your hand here if you earn over 700 pound a month and like three people put their hand up and i was like how on earth can we expect you guys to like love this place enjoy this place exactly. and work as if it's your own if we don't even cover your rent you know yeah. how many of you guys have more than three jobs and like a good few of them pick their hands up and i was like look i gotta make a difficult decision here but we can't look after anyone anymore who is working in the city and you're doing a couple of hours a week so if you work city job you're banking accounting whatever i'm not worried about you you're going to be just fine if you're a coach and you're a full coach and you're determined to develop as a coach, we can help you. Let's give you some more coaching hours. Let's, let's invest in your relationship with, with yourself and, and your education um, and try and build that up from there. And it, it went down badly because I think about seven or eight coaches either had to ask to leave or left. And it was like, when you walk into a CrossFit gym, <laughs> when you walk into a CrossFit gym, um, everyone's best mates and basically yeah. what i just done was fire seven people's best mates and yeah. it just Tough. immediately put a target on my back yeah um and do you think at the time they saw the bigger picture do you think they like no at the, i mean at the, at the time emotions are high and you know like they, they, they've seen you come in as like this new person and made changes left right and center but like you know why you're doing that yeah eventually did they kind of realize I think a few of them did and a few of them stayed on and a few of them, but there were some people who they're just in the same position as they were five years ago, six years ago, doing the same thing, mm. you know, living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, maybe that's what they enjoy, you know, who am I to, to, to judge that really? Yeah. But a lot, but a lot of them have left the industry and I'm like, you know, what we were trying to do was create, you know, the people that came to the new place and kind of adopted this new system, they're still there. Yeah. And, you know, 
I don't know how they're doing now, but the point was we want professional coaches to run this facility, not just people who kind of do this as a, as a side hobby. You know, yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the time, I think what was happening was people were being picked out of class as members who were good movers and offered a space on a level one course um, by the gym and then made a coach. And yeah. it basically meant their gym membership became free. They got a mm. few quid a month and that's ended up, which is, but there's no emotional connection into what they're actually doing because realistically that's not the path that they've ever wanted to go down. You know, no. They might've been picked out of, as you said, out of a group, but like you, know, you as a coach and me as a coach, we are coaches because we like to help people and we have an emotional yeah. interest in what we do. So yeah. if you're not in that same position and you know, like, yeah, you've got a city job, but you do that a few hours here and there. Well, you know, you're not going to have that connection to, to yeah. the rest, to the, to the industry, let alone like yeah. the, the place that you're working. That being said, I have met a few people who did have a city job and they enjoyed coaching so much because they didn't really enjoy what they were doing in the city. But that's that when they, they can sometimes so change much. their career. Yeah, they do. And, and it's, it's often a hard one because I got approached by quite a lot of people and said, look, I'm thinking about becoming a PT. I'm like, if you think it's going to be easier, just think again, because it's like yeah. your hours are going to be the same, except they're now partitioned towards 5.30, 6 a.m. and late nights. So your eight hours that were spread out through the day or nine hours that were spread out through the day is now spread out into two slots mainly morning mainly evening like you'll yeah. get a little lunch time and it's hard to do a lot with your day except recover <laughs> and go drink coffee um so it's like it's not easy and i'm like if you really want to go down that route i'll send you in the right direction and i i asked all the coaches across london to start reading a book called gut i started with uh told them to read uh simon cynics um start with why um kind of come back to me like tell me why you're here because yeah. if you can't tell me why you're here we certainly can't tell members why they should be here um yeah, exactly but yeah we hired a good few guys uh alex miller who's still there as strength and conditioning coach he's one of the best coaches i've ever met um and he revolutionized the way they did strength and conditioning at that at that gym um Amazing. i mean he trains some i think he mainly trains uh female powerlifters but he has like 52 53 kilo girls pulling over 200 kilos on a deadlift um and it's yeah i mean the crossfit london girls are immensely strong like and that's that's full credit down to him and we had steve who's gone back to australia now but he kind of got on board with the vision and i think i would have quit a long time before if i didn't have steve like helping me out with that stuff so yeah what it did teach me though was you know stood back at like halfway through and i was like it was great watching days where you've created a community you've got a community event but i was like i've created a massive circle and i'm just standing at the center of it i'm not part of anything and that's yeah. where you know that loneliness kind of kicked in and it was the first time i'd kind of felt it um in london um and you know like the day i left the you know lead pitchforkers like my biggest critics the members they came up to me and they said you know you've made a massive change here like really appreciate it. and i just wanted to 
slap them honestly i honestly wanted to be like you've made my life a living hell for the past two years i'm like and now you're you're finally saying something nice to me i was like honestly i really appreciate it but i was like where was this because i was running on fumes most days and those kind of things would would just carry you through you know yeah it's just just being told that you're doing a good job is is nice to hear sometimes oh yeah it's massive yeah you need that credit sometimes for sure i definitely agree with that um with the so you said obviously the loneliness is is, is I think is a huge thing and you know this industry can be lonely if you're self-employed and you're running around london mm. left right and center and you just do what you need to do you know earn your money and get out if you're not really networking with other trainers or sort of not networking other other places then it, it can become a lonely industry and i totally understand yeah. um how how you maybe got into that position for short uh last year one thing I wanted to discuss with you, which is, I think I thought it was incredibly powerful. You were going through a few things yourself personally and decided to sort of get what you had in your head out on paper mm. and, and wrote a fair few thousand words, I think, mate. <laughs> yeah, there's 26,000 in the end. 26,000 um, words. Talk me through it. Talk me through what happened. And um, Yeah, I um, uh, it's a bit tough. So like there was in, numerous things over the year which kind of led me to a position where I was like, what am I, what am I doing? And just, it slowly got on top of me. And basically I struggled leaving CrossFit London and that feeling of loneliness. And, you know, in that year as well, where I was really hustling with making sure that gym was running, um, one of my best mates died and he died he asked me to go for a beer with him on the Friday and I was, I was really excited for it. And I said, yes. Then like three hours before we were supposed to meet on the Friday, he was like, I was just like, mate, I've got to, I got to stay back. I've got to do some work at, uh, at the gym. And he was like, no worries, mate. He's the most happy go lucky guy. Um, yeah. And he's like, no worries, mate. I'm off to India next week and I'll, so we'll catch up when you get back. Uh, and he was killed in an accident in India. And so yeah. I've just Sorry felt like this. It's, it's okay. I've kind of made peace with it. Um, but I was just ridden with this guilt of my last text to him was effectively blowing him off. And he's this happy-go-lucky guy. And he was probably, uh, at the time, one of my only friends in London that was outside the fitness industry. And yeah. it's just nice to have that. You know, it's nice to course, not talk yeah. about anything fitness or health related. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I left work that day a little bit early. I went straight back to work again on the Monday, Tuesday, carried on going through. Um, and then when it got to his funeral, I rode down, actually rode down on a bike, which... In hindsight, it's a bit insensitive because he was killed on a motorbike in, in India. Uh, but, you know, I, I parked quite far away. So um, I rode down to Reading, uh, went to his funeral. It was emotional as fuck. Like it was, it, we were at this tiny, tiny place that was had a capacity for about 120 people. And it must have been about 250, 300 people there, like just out the door. Um, wow. And it was like, I was holding it together and then like halfway through, I just I full on lost it. I had a meltdown um, in the middle of the funeral, but um, everyone then went for drinks afterwards 
And, you know, these are my uni friends who I haven't seen in, you know, something like six, seven years. And I stayed for like 30 minutes and they were like, we've got an Airbnb. And I was like, no, I got to go back to London. And I left and I rode back and, you know, there was a little moment where I was like, I probably should have stayed, you know? Um, And then I kind of went, you know, I got to go. So I went back um, and I was seeing someone at the time and we, and we we're going to stay at the hotel that she got in London. I got back to the hotel. I was like emotionally drained. I was like, can you let me in? And she's like, I've, I've gone out. I was like, what? And I was like, okay, can you let get the guys at the hotel to just give me a key so I can have a shower and park my bike and everything. And basically just ended up going out that night um straight after the funeral not really thinking anything of it and i was just then got into a cycle of just burying myself um and i ran with for about two three weeks maybe four weeks i just got into like a real at the time i was like you know i'm just having fun i'm living my life but realistically i wasn't like I doing things I shouldn't have been doing like uh far too often it's probably the yeah. best way to say it and I just woke up one day it was a small period it was like one really heavy weekend of three nights out in a row and I was just like turned to this girl and I was like basically like, I can't do this I'm like no judgment on you like, this is your life but I'm gonna literally die if I keep going down this route and I was like yeah. so I'm out like all good like we're still we're still cool uh but i just can't go down this route so then i went back to cross for london carried on doing my thing um didn't really grieve it the fact that one of my best mates had, had died uh and went through a breakup at the same time um just with, parking a lot of emotions rather than yeah. like you know getting in the car and addressing them yeah i was going through a breakup at the same time went to lululemon summit as well which was mega emotional um and oh yeah going through the breakup was was tough because i was like moving out of the house that i bought with my girlfriend at the time um and we're still good like this is this is partly her dog as well um so we we kind of share now and then but um it was kind of like, all right, everything you've worked for, you're just leaving behind. And I offered to move out um, to make it easier. And then, yeah, it was just, there's a lot of compounding emotions that I didn't really deal with. And then when I left CrossFit London, I basically said, look, I've done everything I can here for this gym. I've almost made myself redundant. Yeah. Like, what I'll set out to achieve, I've, I've, I've done. And um, so I gave him notice and then I left and uh, I went to, I kind of went traveling for a bit, but unintentionally. Um, A friend said to me, do you want to come run 13K in Hawaii? I was like, I'll be totally honest with you. I hate running. And that's a really long way to go. I was like, how long are you going for? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how long are you going for? And they were like, four days. I was like, I really can't justify like 
spending this much money on flights to run around Hawaii and then literally fly straight back. Yeah. And they were like, do you know what? We'll, we'll pay for you. All right. I was like, then I'll see you in Hawaii. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically I went, flew to Amsterdam, flew to Hawaii, uh, was there for three days, ran around um, one of the islands, which was amazing because they were doing it to raise money for uh, kids on the island. And it's a huge, huge event. They got CrossFit involved. They got Rogue involved. They got every sponsor under the sun all of the games athletes ran it um and i I remember actually when i was running um there's a girl now Haley adams she's like i think she's probably 20 now but she was part of the crew that we were running with power monkey fitness and i was running with her and she's like i'm so unfit i was like what (laughs) it's like games (laughs) athlete it's like i'm dying here like you're fine um She's like, I'm so out of shape. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> so it was it was amazing. It was such an awesome experience. But then like the day after that, so on the fourth day, I then flew straight to Dubai, which I think is probably the longest flight I've ever taken. And it's basically like How long flew, to Seattle, flew to Seattle, which was six hours. And then Seattle to Dubai was, I think, either 16 or 17 hour flight. And it's Direct. also, com- yeah completely opposite time zone and i'm like so i went from from minus minus 10 hours to like plus four hours and (laughs) when i landed i called my friend and we stayed at her dad's house which was immense and stayed in the most comfy bed best room temperature went to sleep and i woke up the next day i was like it was so dark i had and the bed was a circle bed Okay. I had no perception of where I was. So I was like wandering around the room trying to think about what I remembered. And I was like literally doing this until I just went, all right, hey Siri, to light up my phone. Um, <laughs> I was like, there's my phone. I can find my way around. Um, and yeah, basically I'd slept nonstop for 17 hours. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> so like, it's basically, basically yeah. night time when you woke up again. Yeah, my, I basically, I went to bed uh and woke up at 4 p.m in the afternoon um and yeah my friend was like i thought you'd gone out i thought you'd gone out she's like come back from her working day i was like no i actually just got up i'm like i have no idea where i am what time it is like anything but yeah i went to i went to hawaii i went to dubai we went back to london for a week then i went to north carolina um and italy uh all in the space of about five weeks and i um 500 pound less than I would have done if I stayed in London. And I was like, all right, do you know what? Everything I was working for is there. I've got it. Yeah. You know, I've got my switch, business that remote. switch that flipped. Yeah. Switch, the switch yeah. was flipped. And then you knew sort of like the route you're going down now. Yeah. My business is fully remote now. Um, and then uh, Lee Steggles called me from Shapesmiths. And was like, can you do a few coaching hours? And I was like, do you know what? I wouldn't mind doing it because I've got plenty of time now. I, yeah. I don't have to run a gym. I'm like, you know, it'd be nice to be part of something in this community. And one thing that stuck out to me that I'll give him massive credit for is when members come in and they're a little bit unsure about the gym, 
because some CrossFit, most CrossFit gyms, and they are by far the most successful CrossFit gym in London, um, yeah. if not one of the most successful in the UK. You know, he comes when people are coming around. You know, he's like, Shapesmiths is not necessarily just the gym. It's not necessarily about your health and fitness. Shapesmiths is the cure to loneliness. And I was like, bam, powerful. Like that is really powerful. Yeah, and you know, it's credit to that. Like Shapesmiths is so much more of a community than I'd experienced in any other gym. Yeah. And, you know, every CrossFit gym has its drama. Every, you know, Core will have its drama. Like District has its drama. Everything has its drama. But, you know, what they do have is like, it's, are you enjoying yourself here at its core? And, you know, the, the, almost the health and fitness comes second and you get, and you get kind of tied up in enjoying yourself and you make new friends and everything else. And made a couple of good friends there, and I think you know, going back to your your question um, about that kind of period, I got really let down by a few good friends um, in a way that was really deceitful, really deceptive, um, and I kind of felt like a bit of a mug. And mm. when that happened, and on top of everything, I hadn't dealt with at all. Um, I was full on just mental breakdown, really. And I was at the time taking it out on any time I felt like this, I was basically having a a panic and I ended up breaking up with my, my girlfriend, Jess, and it's nothing to do with her, but it was like, it felt like in that moment that the thing that needed to change, something needs to change. Yeah. It was was nothing to do with her at all. And sometimes usually closest to you right they know you more than anyone exactly and they, they they probably are the ones that realistically are being the foundations for you know you as a person it's just because you know you were parking things for so long i'm huge on mindset and i think yeah. mindset's so important um but you were parking things for so long and you were doing things realistically to avoid your sit your situation you know you were yeah. traveling for five weeks you know whilst traveling you were probably keeping very busy seeing different friends doing different mm. things you never had time by yourself and then no. when you come back to a familiar place of london and then going back into a familiar place which is crossfit and then things start to normalize again that's probably yeah. the only time that you're going to then sit back and be like actually there's a lot of shit yeah. up here and then it's just going to take one thing to like t- tip you over the edge because you haven't addressed it. yeah and at the time i had um i had kaya who's like mental puppy and I got her when she was six months and she had a lot of behavior issues. And I was yeah. like, I can solve this. I can fix this. This is you know, what I do. And like, I, we'd spent a lot of time training, training her and um, she's the easiest dog ever. But having a six month old, I bought her as an American bully. She's almost definitely a pit bull. But it was the fact that she was, she'd had behavioral issues in the past and they were very hard to get rid of and she's such high energy and on top of everything i was dealing with i was then dealing with kaya by myself and walks were not easy with kaya whether you were with someone or without um Mm. they were immensely stressful because it was like okay i'm always on my guard there's another dog you need to move that way there's another dog that way i live in clapham everything is a sausage dog or, or a or a cockapoo miniature schnauzer <laughs> yeah and it was almost like they 
they used to wind her up more than anything. With big dogs, I was like, yeah, sod it, go for it, because they could handle their own. But she played so rough that the other dogs, the little dogs didn't like it, and they snapped at her, and then she would snap. And it was like she wanted to go play, but she'd run over and just charge into them. And because the little dogs didn't like it, like, you know, bigger dogs just pushed her back. And then it was yeah. just like, a, it looked like Titans playing. But yeah. for little dogs, which is, you know, most of Southwest London, um, it wasn't nice for the owners. It wasn't nice for Kaya because she felt like I was just restricting her all the time. And eventually I ended up giving her um, to a friend's friend and he's done a great job with her. Um, but it was just too much stress at the time. So I was like, oh, I've given up the dog as well. Who's like, you know, I still still love that dog to this day but it wasn't like i tried i spent sixteen thousand pounds on dog training that year and wow. uh, it's like i tried everything i could and the reality was is i was in such a stressed place it was just yeah. transferring to the dog and she needed someone much more calm at that point mm. um and then i guess i decided you know maybe i should start writing some of this down i started journaling i think started journaling one day and i was like I wrote about 19 pages and like type just off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, I've probably got a lot more to deal with. And I just carried on writing. I ended up writing that whole book thing, I guess, within about 10 days. Yeah. And yeah. As you were writing it, could you feel like yourself physically and emotionally starting to slowly but surely? I suppose like release and calm and like yeah accept. yeah because like i mean one of the first things i did was like just talk about growing up like i had a lot of i felt a lot of pressure whether whether it was attended or not like my dad is chinese there's a certain amount of pressure you get from asian parents um mm -hmm. and even when now he's completely a lot more relaxed he's really strict as a as a when I was a kid, but he's a lot more relaxed now. There's still that need to almost have approval of some sort. Yeah. And um, I started with that when I was young. You know, I look back at it, I'm like, my granddad, his dad, was 10 times stricter. I mean, you didn't, you didn't dare breathe around him, you know, let alone act yeah. up. You didn't dare, yeah. you would not speak in the room unless he directly spoke to you. And I was like, you know, my dad was nothing like that. So yeah. everything he's doing is a dilution. And yeah. I think about it when I'm, if if I have kids, I probably will be relatively strict, but yeah. I'll probably be a little less strict than my dad. Yeah, exactly. And he was a lot less strict than his dad. Because yeah. my, mom, my mom's, yeah, exactly. My mom's from Leeds from and my mom's from Leeds and they've got a wicked sense of humor. And, you know, it's like everyone laughs at themselves, whereas you don't really do that in, Chinese culture you know yeah like it's it's why are you laughing at yourself it's not funny um so yeah I started with that and then grew into all the way through into like my friends uh my friend dying and I think the big part of that was you know he wouldn't he's such a happy-go-lucky guy he wouldn't want me to be wasting life doing like feeling miserable feeling guilty over it you know yeah. no one could have foreseen that circumstance 
I, mean, I was almost very annoyed at him even when he died because I was like, he had no right riding a motorbike. Didn't yeah. know how to ride a motorbike as far as I yeah. know. Uh, and I guess that's the thing. It's like, you know, people go to Bali, they go to India, you just get on a bike. It's what you do. You yeah, learn on the norm, spot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, like there was that. And I kind of like put it to rest. And by the end of writing that chapter about, about Reese, um, I almost just felt like completely at peace with it. Yeah. You know, like every year we'll remember him, whether it's through a run, because he used to love to run. I think he, I think he went out one night, did like six, seven pints, and then ran a marathon in three hours, five minutes the next day. Cash, um, as you do. <laughs> yeah. And so I barely trained for it, but he was just a weapon. Um, but he it, wasn't, yeah. he wasn't in the fitness industry, Like yeah. he was just fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Fair play. Like, so I love yeah. That. Um, and then went through everything. I just basically everything that I dealt with over the years or didn't deal with, wrote it on, wrote it down. Mm. And then I haven't even read it back. I haven't You're even not. gone back into it. No, I just wrote it down and I was like, yeah, that's enough. I'm done. But that's, yeah, that, that, and that's powerful. And essentially, you might never, you might never read back through that ever again. You might not release yeah. it. You might not even add to that again. But I think yeah. one of the most powerful things that you've done is most people that that I either give advice to or that I see that go through in a bit of shit. The hardest thing is acceptance, and they don't accept mm. it, and they don't. They know there's there's bad shit happening, and there's no. They know there's like struggles, and they know that they have their own internal, you know, fights and dilemmas, but they just don't accept. And yeah. they continue to try and avoid and go through paths that at the time they're making them like short term happy. You know, we talk about happy and talk about pleasure. What's pleasure and what's happiness? Well, pleasure's short term fixes that realistically in the long run don't get you anywhere. Whereas pure happiness is the ability to feel content and feel happy in your space. Yeah. And I yeah. think a lot of people definitely do try and just look for pleasure to curb all the shit that's going on. Yeah. Rather yeah, than absolutely. like addressing it. Yeah. And I think, um, you're right. Like, I think people are getting better at addressing things um, mm. when when they're feeling when they're feeling down. Like, it's not it's no longer you know shameful. You don't have to necessarily put on that alpha male approach to just bury your shit until you die, kind of thing. Yeah, um, which you know, it, it it almost makes me sad to think how many people have done that. Yeah. Yeah. How many people have struggled and how many people have just said yes or said no to opportunities because they thought that's what they should be doing rather than that's what they wanted to do um i agree but yeah i mean like i called it the oxygen mask because i was like you know you can't i can't physically look after anyone else in the state i was in the only mm -hmm. thing i only plate i left spinning was my work the only plate yeah. I could, and even then a couple of my clients were like you know are you all right um yeah. well, I could and, tell, right? Yeah, yeah, when, especially those, especially those closest to me. Um, and one of my friends from uni came around, and he was like, "Mate, you look, you look like shit." I'm like, "Cheers, man. It's good to see you too." He's like, "No, yeah. but you look, you look really bad." Um, yeah. And I, I think yeah. that's powerful, though. I think if, if, like, he said it in a very, it's a very lad to lad way to say yeah, it. You yeah. Know? Like, I, I, to be honest with you, if I was to see someone and they were like that, I'd, that'd probably be a, a similar thing that I would say. But yeah. then the ability to then address what address that that person in front of you. Okay, you look shit. Come on, actually talk to me and like sit down and and discuss. 
maybe potential issues that are going on. I think that's something that needs to happen more. And I definitely feel like it's getting better. You know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot, a lot of, especially with guys, there's a lot of surface level, like shit mm. that we just discuss. Yeah. We don't really tend to do like females are definitely better at doing this as friends. They like, they get a bit deeper. They get a bit more emotional. They like understand, okay, that the, their friend's situation. Whereas guys, we tend to steer away from that. Um, yeah. And I, I think, I think it's definitely getting better, but it's it's so powerful to be able to, you know, a friendly face is, is going to always yeah. give you the most, the best advice, right? Not just yeah, your parents. Exactly. And I think what you're talking about there is, um, you know, if you go back a very, very, very long time and all of the, all of the stereotypical male traits and the stereotypical typical female traits, you know, stereotypes are often there for a reason. At some yeah. point, something's happened and a stereotype has, has, has formed. And, you know, let's go caveman era. You know, it was a man's job to go out, hunt the thing, kill the thing, bring it back. You know, that's all they had to do. There were no other problems. And it was a female's job to look after the kids, prepare the thing, maybe cook the thing, you know, do a number of tasks. And it's where women can multitask and men cannot, you know, kind mm. of comes from. And you know, you will have these hyper masculine males who are still very much like that. You know, yeah. sometimes I look at my dad and I'm like, did you even hear a word I was saying in that full five minute conversation we just had? <laughs> but it's not because he was trying to like open an app and that simple task, it was like, I didn't hear a word you said, but you know, everyone is now a mix. You know, it's, 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 it's masculine, it's feminine, it's yin and yang. It's, it's, it's whatever yeah. you want to call it. But it's potentially why traditionally CEOs have been very masculine male people because mm. they know how to do one thing and do it like this. Whereas yeah. entrepreneurial people have been typically more feminine brain and yeah. they see the bigger picture. They're the people that hire the CEO who's effectively the first soldier um, when it comes to a company. Because like, like you know, running CrossFit London, it made me realize that I was just the first puppet from the investors. Yeah. That's effectively what I was. And like, I wanted to be the next level because I like to see the idea. And definitely yeah. in that approach is like, my brain is a lot more feminine in that style. Um, yeah. But then talking about this, a really awesome uh, clip on YouTube that perfectly describes like um, a masculine and feminine style brain of which everyone is a mix. And it's called, it's not about the nail. And it's like how women want to talk about a problem who, or I shouldn't say women, a feminine style brain talks about a problem. And it's like, I want to go around and around in circles. I want to knit every single detail of this story until I get to the point. Yeah. Whereas the guy goes, that's the problem. Let me fix it. Done. You know, yeah. and you know, it's, it, that might not be the problem. The, the problem might be somewhere in that story, but the guy's seen that thing do this you know? yeah. and and you know you see it with like relationships all the time it's like you're not listening to me it's like i am you said this yeah <laughs> and, i'm trying to figure like, out how i just do this <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and 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 it's almost like i see it with my dad and i definitely do it as well it's like someone tells me a problem I'm like, what do you mean you just wanted me to listen why are you telling me the problem if you don't want me to help you solve it you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. whereas yeah, my dad yeah. like he hears me say uh, i've got a problem with something and he goes about trying to find a million ways to fix it. I'm like, I actually didn't want you to fix that. I'm just telling you that I have a problem that I'm going to go fix. Yeah. 
but do you know what I mean? And so it's, 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 it's but they, as you said, it's some stereotypes and some stigmas and, and traits they exist yeah. for a reason. And yeah, I think I think it's definitely just it's it's evolutionary. It's also generational. You know, generational. Yeah traits and generational stereotypes you know they, they change over time and i think we are getting into an era as you said where like there is definitely a more of a mix than ever before um and yeah. if you if you have an as an individual if you've got the ability to control your female and male traits and, and thought processes that's a that's a very powerful place to be in and i think as a coach if you can identify it in your clients where they're more feminine brain where they're more masculine brain it mm. makes a huge difference. Like a really great example is if I have a client who is more feminine brain, they're, they're, there's a fear of loss of love, whereas a masculine brain is more fear of failure. So mm. going back to the caveman is like, if I don't go out and kill that thing, everyone dies, my whole yeah. tribe, whatever. Uh, whereas it's like, the feminine brain is if I don't do these things, there's a loss of love. This person moves on to the next person, whatever. And mm. if you look at that from a, that's such a basic example, but if you look at it from a coaching perspective, it's like if I write a program and let's say I put in my client's program, when you do five deadlifts at 70 kilos and they are more feminine brain and they hit three reps and they couldn't physically do two more, they feel like they let me down. Yeah. And that then ruins their session. It potentially ruins a coach-client relationships. Like um, you put too much pressure on me or the other way around, I'm really sorry I've mm. let you down. I've had clients in the past going, I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm like, you pay me. Yeah, yeah? you're not You pay me. me, you're not bothering me. You pay <laughs> I'm here me. for like you. This, yeah. yeah, exactly. But then the, the other side, you know, sometimes I've got a challenge, uh, my more mas masculine side, because some masculine brain people grow more on the border of challenge than they do on the border of support. And so if I hold their hand through things I don't get anywhere. Whereas if I say yeah. to them, I'm like, I don't think you can do 90 kilos today. You've had a rough week. Like you're tired. They are immediately going to go out and prove me wrong and go and hit 90 kilos, if not more. And yeah. that's what I kind of had with um, one of my clients, Dave is, very masculine brain in the fact that like if I challenge him to do something, he'll do it. If I kind yeah. of hold his hand through things, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, exactly. um, but yeah, like I said, some people need to feel more supported and it's not just guys and girls. You know, I have really hyper masculine uh, female clients where if I try to support, them, you know, I barely hear from them. You know, yeah. they don't want, they don't want to talk. They just want to do yeah. the program they just want yeah, to keep fair. going it's like i'm like how's things they're like fine same as last week good still progressing good chat great exactly i'm like i'm there's like i definitely have more feminine brain in that style of things like if i yeah. if i'm being coached in something i want to talk things through i want to know the direction we're going in that kind of thing and yeah. i'm like you sure you don't want to talk about anything else we're good they're like no, fine <laughs> Yeah. And then that's uh, up to you as a coach to adapt to that, right? You're not used to that typically yeah, exactly. or, or traditionally. So you're like, okay, how do I how do I now go about you know making this is this person's service yeah. and also this person's offering the best possible? But like at the end of the day, it's just you as a coach to just recognize that everyone's different. Yeah, exactly. And if you can recognize that, it goes a lot further in mm. your coaching practice than simply writing a program.
Yeah, exactly that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. What's next? What's next for Mike Lee? Uh, what's next is get a house that has furniture. So this chair, <laughs> I don't know whether it's unpopular or not. This chair is basically the only chair we have in the house. Um, we do have a almost got a fully functioning gym. I'm just waiting on an email from Screwfix so I can go pick up a, a hammer drill and put up our squat rack onto the wall. Gym, um, gym is the necessity though, right? Yeah, I mean, the gym is by far the best part of this house. Our mattress is on the floor. We don't have a single chair. We don't have a table. The TV's not plugged in. Um, I've got a computer set up and I've got a gym. So the next <laughs> task, yeah, the next task really is to get the house decorated and make it feel more like a home. Um, nice. And then from there, sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see... I'll keep my business with PT in London. I've got really close connections with all of those guys and I enjoy training them. But we've got a golf course right next door and there's quite a lot of potential for strength and conditioning there. And now I have a gym that I'm not even joking is less than 100 metres away. Uh, and the nearest gym to here is miles. I don't know where it is, yeah. six miles maybe. So Fair. I might potentially start building that business there. Um I think it's a period where get motivation back to just drive my coaching business forwards. Um, yeah. You know, I am not at saturation, uh, but I'm not really far off. And, you know, yeah. saturation point for me with coaching clients is just the point at which I am not giving my best anymore. And, yeah. you know, I've got, I think, the best balance I've had in the past is about 40 clients for me. It's a great, it's a good amount of income. It's, I can give them a good amount of attention and it doesn't take up my entire, entire life doing. Um, and what I found is when I've gone over that in terms of properly coaching individual clients, lose touch with a few of them here and there, and then I'm not giving the best service that I could. So I kind of have like a, a soft cap until I can find out a better system and you know maybe I will develop a better system of 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 40 individual clients and you know seven or eight PT sessions that uh keep me talking to actual human beings rather than just the computer screen. Just computer screens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that. Uh, so yeah. Amazing. Well Mike honestly that's been uh, a f- an incredible conversation i've loved loved that um i took a lot from that myself and i hope the listeners do as well um there's a lot you've gone through both professionally and personally that people can hopefully relate to and i see nothing but good things coming for you my man thanks lee thanks lee i appreciate you uh you asking me to come on great episode number 10 of being sapien over and out